Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the house today. God bless you. We're going to begin worship. And if you're able, just stand to your feet and sing along with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to feel, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? I first believed. My chains are. Soon dissolve like snow. 
the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be
your head and join uh, with me in prayers. Dear Lord, uh, on this happy day, we come before you to celebrate the gift of motherhood. We thank you for the women in our lives who have loved and cared about us, who have taught us and guided us, and who have shown us the true meaning of unconditional love. We pray for all mothers, especially those who are struggling we pray for those who are raising kids on their own, those who are grieving the loss of a child, and those who are facing challenges in their families. We pray that you would give them strength, courage, and peace. We also pray for all children that they will grow up in loving and supportive homes. We pray that they would be surrounded by people who love them and who help them to grow into kind, compassionate and responsible adults. We thank you for the gift of motherhood, and we ask that you would bless all mothers and children on this day, this happy day, and always in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're here with us today to worship God. Um, uh, as Hung Wei said, uh, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. We hope you're just showered with love today. Um, hey, sometimes some of the funnest times in life for everybody, celebrations can be hard times for you individually. So if you're going through something with, um, with health or family or money or house, um, all those things can just uh, uh, be stresses on you. And we'd love to join you in prayer. So on your um, uh, bulletin when you walked in, there's a, uh, a prayer card, and you can write anything on there. Um, we hold these in confidence, pray for them each week, and um, we just love to lift up whatever you're going through uh, in prayer to God. And, um, and if you have something you want to thank God for, too, we love getting those, too. And then um, on the opposite side, you can give us your email address, and we'll sell it to someone for a lot of money. Um, uh, actually, we send two. We would never do that. And we send two uh, emails most weeks uh, on Wednesday just to tell you about what we're doing in the church, any upcoming events, um, stuff like that. And then on Friday... We send out what's called the Read, Think, Pray, which is a great email to get yourself ready for the sermon and the Sunday 
service that's coming up. And so I find when I uh, take the time to go through the Read, Think, Pray, I'm just much more engaged in the sermon. I learn from it. Uh, I just feel prepared to come. And it's not a duplication of the sermon, so you're not doing it twice, but it really does lead into the the service really well. So, um, And it's prepared by whoever's preaching that Sunday. So most weeks, Pastor Steve, um, but, but whoever we've got up here on Sunday will have written that. So um, give us your email address. And then um, this card is really slick. If you fold it, it just tears right in two. And you can take the bottom half and drop it um, in, in the box on your way out the door or in the baskets in the foyer. And then um, the top half has uh, an invite to our worship and prayer night, which is this Thursday from 6.30 to about 7.15. Um, we'd love to just interrupt your work week uh, with the time to worship God. The Bible says when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. So um, just take a moment uh, on Thursday and come join us. It's really brief. It'll be uh, worship music, some prayers, uh, and then, of course, afterwards, some cocoa and biscotti, if you weren't already convinced. So, um, yeah, we'd love to see you on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, we'll continue worshiping now with a sermon from Pastor Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Drake. Oh, my gosh, Mother's Day. Uh, and we're talking about uh, God is in the details of life and focusing specifically today on Jesus' healing. In the beginning of this year, we, we walked through uh, what are called the Beatitudes, uh, these, these uh, teachings from Jesus, kind of like the second giving of the law, right? Uh, what what, what Moses brought down from uh, Mount Sinai to the Jewish people, Jesus is now giving uh, people in a whole new form, a whole new way, not discounting the law, but all of a sudden giving a, a take on it that is shocking them and lifting them up and uh, causing them to start to see things in a bigger way as he's talking about the kingdom of God. And so out of these beatitudes, these blessings, uh, come this... Uh, the, the bulk of what we know is the Sermon on the Mount. What, we've, what we're doing now is we're going back through Matthew's Gospel and we're saying, hey, what are some of the details that come out of that Sermon on the Mount and those Beatitudes? These things that Jesus is saying that are sort of cryptic, blessed are those who, you know, whatever. And, and, and now we're going to look at some of the things he did because everything Jesus did was about proclaiming and teaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at some of those details that are about him demonstrating. Uh, it's one thing for people to, to sell you um, features in a product, but at some point you go, I'm not really that impressed with the features. Tell me the benefits. My phone does things I have no idea that it does. Uh, I am the easiest person to sell a phone to because all I just want to do is text and, and get email and, and make phone calls. And my phone can do things that uh, every time I find out another thing my phone does, I'm impressed, but I don't, I'm not being different. Like, I don't know. I don't really need that. Um, but we're talking about the God who knows what we need and isn't just bringing us um, interesting features. He's saying, here are the benefits of how I made you, why I made you, what it means to be in a relationship with me. So here we are uh, on Mother's Day, which, of course, Mother's Day is not just about features. It's about benefits. It's about the impact of a mom. I'm not gonna, this is, is not going to be a, a Mother's Day sermon. But because it's Mother's Day, it's a great way to, to, to reflect on uh, what it means to be healed, you know, what, it, what it means to be a healer. Um, just the, the, a mom, a functional mom. Most moms often feel dysfunctional because there are way too many things going on at one time and they're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through the day? But every mom knows that it's absolutely functional to love these kids in front of me. And one of the most wonderful things to think about as a mom is you're the first person who affirms your kid's sense of humor. 
Because every little antic and every little fun, cute thing that a kid says, mom typically sees it or hears it first and is cracking up. And uh, one of the best things about having a phone with, a nine, with nine cameras on it or whatever you get now, the three cameras on my phone I, I, I don't use anyway, um, is that uh, we get this stream of amazing little mi- pictures and amazing little vignette videos for, about our grandkids. And seeing all the things they do and how they do it, it's so fun to get in, in on uh, a mother's world and see things that she is seeing and hear things that she is hearing. So powerful. How about when a kid um, hurts himself? And, and obviously when a kid is seriously injured, they, they, they go to the doctor. But for the most part, mom is the, is the in-house healer. Think about that. When you had a little boo-boo, when you had a bad day, when anything was happening, you might save up your tears until you walked in the door and then you unloaded. And it was mom who comforted you, gave you compassion and empathy. It's powerful, isn't it? Uh, probably your first experience of justice uh, was your mother giving you the mother look. I wish we could do. Um, uh, I wish we could just take the time to have every mom come up here and give us their mother look, <laughs> because every young woman, every woman at any age or stage who gets married and has kids does does not understand one of the features built into her that is definitely a benefit for her at everybody else's expense is the mom look. And women in corporate America all of a sudden realize after they have kids, they go, I, I'm going to go back to work with a whole new sense of superpower because now I'm going to start looking at these people with my mom look. And a mom can get away with things no guy, no matter how big and tough that guy is, he can't stare down or intimidate um, everybody. But a mom can walk into the biggest group of bad-looking dudes and completely reduce them to being eight years old. Because she'll just give him that mom look. So I'm just because I can see it. Would you all give me just a little flash of your mom look? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm, I'm, I won't do that again. I, um, the mom look is so powerful, 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 and it only works for the kid because that kid knows that mom is the one who gives them the healing, and the love, and the affirmation, and empathy. And really, at the end of the day, you only receive that look from people who you think care about you. Otherwise, there's too much shame or resentment or intimidation that that makes you want to run away. But that person who loves you in a way that is healing, uh, you're willing to take a lot of stuff from them that's it's good for you. It's just a more bitter version of it, right? Uh, we, you, I, I quote this often out of Proverbs 17: "The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy." Somebody who cares for you and loves you. Uh, confronting you gently or, or directly, um, depending on the situation, and letting you understand what you, you are doing and what they're seeing and how they're experiencing you, an amazing gift. But it really comes out of that sense of safety. Uh, we have sort of trivialized safety in our culture these days. People are in situations that are clearly not unsafe, but they, they plead, this is not safe, okay? Uh, because maybe we, we confuse safety with indulgence. But when you're truly in a situation where somebody has created a safe place for you, it opens you up to receive stuff. So as we talk about Jesus' healing, and it's kind of a controversial thing to talk about in our day and age because we so easily discount it. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But what I thought I'd do, there's, there's 41 of these things, uh, these sorts of stories, uh, uh, events recorded in the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going to look, I'm going to read through literally 12 of these uh, they're recorded in Matthew. Just going to read them through because it's, it's 
first-person testimony, so to speak, you know, I just want to give you a sense. I'm not going to talk about each one of them. I might make a comment or two. But I just want you to get a sense of over the course of Jesus' ministry, what was, it, what was this healing stuff about? And maybe what it will do is confirm some things for you or maybe uh, close some loops for you or maybe correct some things for you as you see how Jesus approached healing. So these are all in Matthew. <clears throat> uh, they'll, they'll be up on the screen if you have a a phone with a Bible on it, and you want to look these up, great. But otherwise, just look up on the screen. So Matthew 4.24, early in Jesus' ministry, it says, The news about him spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and uh, he healed them. Uh, and this word healed, mostly when you see the word healing, uh, it's this word that we get our word therapy from. It's, it's the word therapon. And so sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, when, when people hear a sermon, it shouldn't be about therapy. When they hear the word of God proclaimed, it should be really speaking to the, you know, this is right and that's wrong. And, and this whole therapeutic thing about people speaking and, and preaching, it's too therapeutic. I've heard that from people. And I'm thinking they don't understand the Bible that they think they're defending. Everything Jesus said and did was therapeutic. It was healing, it was curing, it was transformational. That's why even confrontation, correction, is inherently therapeutic, right? So you'll see this word a lot, and, and uh, typically it's that word, uh, therapon. Okay, what do you see here? Well, it's various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, he healed them all. Often I've heard it said by people who would, would dispute the idea that Jesus healed anybody uh, or that these people even understand the difference between a, a demon possession or an illness. Uh, the, the old, the old uh, you know, attitude, secular attitude has been, well, it was all to them some demonic thing. They didn't understand anything. Well, here's a list. They clearly distinguished. They had physicians. They were doctors. And... Um, they could distinguish between, that's a demonic thing, uh, and that is epilepsy. Um, we, we, we pride ourselves in discounting anything that sounds spiritual as a source of, of, of disease. And the fact is we missed in a lot of stuff. In, in the Catholic Church, you know that in the Catholic Church, every diocese has an appointed and trained exorcist. Now we would think that's crazy goofy maybe in our secular world. Oh, yeah, I saw the movie. I wouldn't want that job, you know. Um, and we miss the point that what they're saying is these folks are trained. Some of them are actually physicians. I, I know a guy, Dr. Luke. He's a, he's, a, he's a physician. He's also the abbot at Vallermo uh, Monastery out in, in uh, the high desert, St. Andrew's Priory. And so he can distinguish clearly between uh, spiritual things like a, a, a demonic oppression or possession and a pathology. One of the greatest things that, that modern psychiatrists had to deal with uh, is that not all pathology is just a breakdown in the body. There can be some other elements here that if we don't account for, we're missing something. Uh, and and the, whole, the whole idea of evil uh, is, it bumps into this idea of well, it's all about pathology. But there's also evil, and evil can take on forms because we have an enemy, Satan. This gets into the deep water, which as a, as a secular culture, we don't want to even touch. But the irony to me is the word psychiatrist itself is a word that comes out of the church. Iatros tes suche. Iatros is doctor in Greek. So iatros tes suche, doctor, tes, of the suche, soul. 
So they were trying to come up with a, a term at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. What do we call these people who are focusing on these really critical issues in people's lives? And the best thing they could do is to say, reach back into ancient history and say, ah, let's call them an iatrostes suche. So you see Jesus is doing this, distinguishing between uh, sources of disease. So when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. This is Matthew 8. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, Sounds kind of crazy. If you're willing, yeah, because leprosy, highly contagious. We hardly understood it until the 20th century. And they were, and any lepers were sequestered. They were sent away. Don't, don't come near anybody. And if you're coming near people, ring a bell, yell, scream out, I'm unclean. And then people say, he's unclean. Uh, it was a very, a very complicated way to live. It was horrible. A living death sentence. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, yes, I'm willing. This is what we see about Jesus healing. He's willing. He, he doesn't see healing as, oh, no, you get away from me. When you're better, come back and I'll heal you. No, right where people are, right where we are. And so uh, he says, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as testimony to them. Uh, this word be clean, it's, not, it's, it's the word we get our word medicine doctor, iatros. It's a, it's a form of that word. He's healing the guy. And he says, don't tell anybody. Why not? Well, because... At this point in Jesus' ministry, he doesn't need Herod or others to come in and say, oh, we're going to shut this down. So Jesus was very much under the radar. And it was enough that he'd healed the man. The man could go to the priest. The priest would declare him clean. And he'd offer this a couple of doves that Moses had prescribed as uh, the, the offering, the, the gratitude offering. Matthew 8, again, uh, continuing, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, this is a city up on the Sea of Galilee in the north part, a century, a centurion came to him, a Roman officer, over 100 soldiers, very prestigious and important, key role in, in the Roman legions. He's one, the, the key person was the centurion. Nothing happened without the centurions coordinating the troops. Every general depended on the centurions. Well, he comes to Jesus asking for help. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And then Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? In this case, the word heal is, shall I come and save him? And the centurion says this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word. Now, previously he touched the guy. Now he just has to say a word. And my servant will be healed. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Well, okay. Matthew 8, 16. When evening came, they, all the people, brought him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. With a word. Depart, whatever he said. And then he went on to heal all the people with more normal, regular uh, infirmities who were ill. Matthew 9. Uh, Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. It must have been horribly awkward for her. Um, We know that this was a a way for people to go to become impoverished, giving money to doctors who were trying to heal them of these these issues, and they couldn't. And then it became just awkward socially, and now you don't want to be, you can't be seen, you don't want to be seen. It's just horrible. So this woman furtively saying, I don't want to make a big deal about this, but I, I, maybe if I just touch his, his garment, and, and you've heard this story. 
If I just touch his garment, I will get well. Of course, you know the end of that story is that Jesus says, somebody touched me. And of course, his disciples say, we're in a crowd. <laughs> Everybody's touching you. Because no, somebody touched me. And then the woman realizes, busted, you know. And he, he's very compassionate toward her. Matthew 9.35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The, you've, you've heard the term signs and wonders. The whole, point, the whole point of wonders is to point as a sign to the kingdom of God. So you see Jesus always proclaiming uh, and teaching the kingdom and then demonstrating it. So the healing wasn't a sideshow. Uh, watch this. Can you top this? Because there were people who were doing that in the first century, doing extraordinary things, even things that we'd call miraculous. And Jesus was all about it's the kingdom. It's a sign pointing to the Father. And so if you're ever in a situation where you're praying for healing, you're praying for somebody's healing, but it's a sign to them. Uh, some of you know a fellow named Jeff Ruckard. Uh, he he uh, is, is a phenomenal ophthalmologist uh, and has dedicated the last, the last all the time I've known him, the last 25 years, to going anywhere in the world and for free doing eye surgery. And, you know, eye surgery is phenomenal that way because most eye surgery resolves really quickly. You have surgery, and the next day, your eyes work. It's unusual that might, something might take a long time to get resolved. Some surgeries take a long time to get resolved. But, but for the most part, uh, he goes all over the world, and when people are healed, they're just blown away. And they say, who are you? How, who, who do I tell healed me? And they won't say, you repaired my eyes. I'll say, who healed me? In every, you know, any kind of setting. And he says, tell them Jesus healed you. See, for him, it's wonderful what he does, but it's a sign to the one who sent him. Jesus sent me to heal you. I'm healing you on behalf of his kingdom. Uh, Matthew 12, 8 to 15, Jesus said, for the Son of Man, this is a, a term out of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, who would come. So Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath, the authority of what it means to have Shabbat with God. And going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, uh, the people in charge of the synagogue asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Right, Because we're supposed to desist from work and simply be in the presence of God in a holy space on the Sabbath. He said to them, uh, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Now there are exceptions to the Sabbath. If a woman was having a baby, can you deliver the baby? Yes, you can. If somebody is in critically awkward, you know, bad condition, can you? Yes. If the sheep, if the cow's in the ditch, can you? Yes. For humanitarian purposes, you can do this. Uh, and so he, Jesus says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, again, he's, remember, I'm the son of man, I'm the anointed one, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And let me show you what the Sabbath looks like in this situation. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and was, it was completely restored, just as sound as the other one. But the Pharisees, these, these teachers of the law, these enforcers of the law, 
went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Why? He was healing somebody. He didn't fit their small view of how things were supposed to work. Now, ironically, these are religious people who are probably praying daily for the Messiah to come. And when he's in their midst, they can't recognize him. And they now circumscribe him with their rules. Their rules now become the ultimate authority, the only worldview acceptable, and they enforce it strenuously. And the social pressure is immense. Not unlike what happens in our secular world when we say, you just can't talk about those things here. They're irrelevant. They plotted how they might kill him, but Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and what did he do? Apologize? No, he healed them all. He continues this healing thing. Matthew 14, 14. Another, on another occasion, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. I've got to heal these people. No, it was compassion. Empathy. He wanted to restore people. Matthew 14, 36. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many touched it were cured. Matthew 15, 30. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. There's, there's sort of just a, a cross-section, quick overview of this consistent way that Jesus did what he did, but he delivered it in different ways. Sometimes a word, sometimes a touch, sometimes somebody touching him. But all of it was about a wonder pointing to the kingdom. So I believe, personally, that these are real events confirming Jesus' mission to restore his creation. I have no problem with this. I mean, uh, why, why not? Why is this a problem? What, what is there not to like about this? What is there not to believe about this? If, if it was fake, it would have been a, you know, revealed as such. We tend to think of the first century or any subsequent you know, previous centuries to us as so naive, so uninformed, so pre-scientific, and then we forget, oh my gosh, pretty much everything we know about science and, and, and math and you name it about the real world, at least the rudiments of it come from these, these times. The philosophies we respond to, the way we think about how the world works comes out of ancient times and we've refined them and somehow out of our, our own arrogance, I guess, we think, well, no, we're the first people. It's a little bit like talking to um, uh, an adolescent who is in love for the first time. And they're trying to explain to you, and they're looking at you like you're hopelessly out of it because it's love. You wouldn't understand, but I'm in love. And you're thinking, yeah, I think I understand. Well, no, you're not really because you're old and you don't understand love. And so you're, when you're newly in love, it's just like intoxicating. And so we're so in love with our technologies and, and our, our, our insights and all these things, we're, we're just kind of, um, you know, ridiculous about it and get, we get so easily offended when anybody even gets close to saying well what about but here's what we read in, in, in um, Paul's letter to these people who lived in Colossae it was a, Colossae was a medical center <laughs> they made, they made uh, ointment for eyes for God was pleased to, ha- to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He also says all things are held together by Jesus. So we're talking about a higher authority. And, and so let's, let's process that a little bit. What God does is natural. 
as in it's natural to who God is. God does what he does according to his nature. We also act according to our nature. Uh, Sadly, it's our fallen nature uh, to hide from God. To yearn for God, yes, um, but to hide from God and to discount his significance in the world. That's sort of our default mode. We all want to be spiritual, but we don't want to connect it to anything in our actual, real, functional lives. Now, where does this take us? Well, terms like supernatural or terms like miracle are treated as uncomfortable truths, uh, as inadmissible evidence. You're not playing fair. You can't bring in supernatural or miraculous things. By the way, the word supernatural did not exist in ancient times. The word supernatural is a word we created uh, in something like the 13th century, trying to make sense of how these kinds of things happen. Well, it's a super extraordinary outside sort of a thing. And and the same thing with miracles. Miracles came, that our our version of miracles uh, comes out of the Middle Ages where we're trying to make sense of, you know, in a pre-scientific but moving toward a scientific era, um, this is how the world should work or could work. Part of it was driven out of respect. Only God can do supernatural, miraculous things. The downside of that the side that our fallen nature clings to is that, therefore, that's incidental and not essential. It's a category of its own that we can dismiss. We can invoke it as we want to, but we're not going to make it a normative uh, point of reference. If you, I hope you follow me on this. Here's how it works. We discount knowledge of God as real knowledge. That's why you will never, ever, in a science class at any university, hear them say, let's just stop for a moment and recognize that all these are things that God has put in play that we're trying to understand. It would be, there would, would be heads rolling. If a student had the temerity to raise their hand, a graduate student, a postdoctoral student, said, hey, by the way, isn't this something that really is about how God has ordered the universe that makes it possible for us to have these orderly experiments? They'd be laughed out of the, the, the classroom or shut down hard. Hey, if you want a career in this field, <laughs> you better change your tune. We discount knowledge of God as real knowledge. It does not really count as real knowledge. So you have to go to specialized places, Bible colleges or seminaries, where, uh, okay, we'll accredit you. You have enough books in the library, fine. You have enough people with PhDs, okay. But we're really not going to give it uh, much weight in our rarefied environment. It, It offends our arbitrary rules of what counts as knowledge. So let that sink in for a second. How easy it is for us to have arbitrary rules about what counts as true knowledge. The Pharisees had some arbitrary rules based on good intentions. They didn't want the people of Israel to go off a cliff again and worship false gods. We don't want people in the name of science doing crazy things. As I, some of you have heard me say this before. I was on this jury. Uh, I got dismissed from it, but I was initially on this this jury pool, when the, the attorneys were at, trying to figure out who they could pick on the jury pool, they said, okay, you folks who are out here, do any of you have a problem with somebody who is a disbarred doctor down in Mexico cutting off people's limbs as a sexual fetish? Do anybody have a problem with that? I'm like, I have a big problem with that! You know? Uh, oh, really? Well, <laughs> and, and I was relieved not to be, you know, and, 
And later, I ran into the attorney who was the defending attorney who was asking the question. He walked into church one day. I'm like, hey, I recognize you. Uh, and he was actually amazing. I mean, he was not a, he was really a, 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 a class act in the courtroom, but the things he was forced to ask, you know, I said, whatever happened? He goes, well, what do you think happened? This guy, was, you know, just was off the chart, off the rails and doing these bizarre things in Mexico. And so he, you know, uh, he's, he's in a safe place for a very long time. I said, but I, I, said I, I, gotta, I, I applaud you for your capacity to be able to defend him and give him his Dan court. He goes, yeah, you know. Um, but, he, but I said, it amazed me how many people were okay with the premise. And he goes, I know. That's what our culture is. What counts as knowledge? We come up with arbitrary rules. That's cool. No, that's fine. Hey, we're going to be showing you in, this cor- in the course of this court case horrific, not horrific, films of people going through these amputations and recovering from them, talking about how awesome they are. Are you okay with that? I'm like, I couldn't, I don't, I wanna, I'd like to sleep for the rest of my life, not be awake every night going, oh my gosh. Arbitrary. That's the key word here, arbitrary. And so in our, our, our culture now, invoking words like supernatural or miracle triggers an alarm. God is trespassing on our turf. Or people in God's name are trespassing on our turf. Now, there are people who are crazy and socially inappropriate who, at the wrong time and the wrong way, disrupt all kinds of situations with a, with a good intention to make a case for God. They don't make a good case for God. But in the most normative way, it's not even acceptable to make a case for God. We act as if he isn't playing by the rules. Illegal procedure, offsides, holding, foul, false start, Flag goes down. Can we see the replay on that, please? And so what we call supernatural or miracle is often meant to say, this is not something we really need to consider. Highly debatable, very controversial, why go there? But what we call supernatural or miracle is simply God being God. God doing what God does. And if we we get over our initial hysteria long enough to say, is there a way to evaluate this and to see if there's any credibility here? When we start to do that, it's a shock to us because we realize, oh my gosh, there's actually some criteria for evaluating, is this of God or not? Is this consistent with what we see in his word or not? And if we see people doing crazy things in the name of God and we look at his word and say, I don't know about you, but I don't see this in the word of God. Why are you doing these things and attributing it to God? And so bringing all those critical faculties and capacities that we have in, in, in our secular world, in a secular academic environment, and applying them to spiritual things is actually a really good process because we'll be shocked and surprised that this stuff holds up under scrutiny. The Bible is not a book that needs to be protected from any scrutiny. The Bible is the most scrutinized, criticized, investigated book ever produced. And there are scores of books written by people, some living, some deceased, from every possible discipline, whose story is that I started out to debunk the Bible, and I became a follower of Jesus. If you've ever read the book The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, he was trained at Yale Law School. He became an investigative journalist. His wife, they lived in Chicago, becomes a follower of Jesus, and he flips out. He goes, this is outrageous. There goes my sex life. 
He made these associations. There goes my love life. There goes everything about my wonderful life because my wife has become a follower of Jesus. She's going, honey, what are you you ranting about? Here's why. Here's what it means. You should check it out. Big shot investigative journalist. And all those awards for doing that, maybe you should apply them to this situation. He goes, fine. He does. And he writes this best-selling book, been a bestseller for 30-plus years, The Case for Christ. This is what happens. When we let go of arbitrary rules, we say, hey, I'll play by the rules of how we investigate and do serious investigation as in a scientific sense or a business sense or due diligence legally. And what happens? It holds up under scrutiny. And so in his mission to the world, Jesus reveals the all-encompassing nature of his authority. It's not supernatural versus natural. If God created all things, anything he does is natural. It's connected to the world he's created. He, he gets to make the rules. He plays by the rules. And so he sees things like this out of Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Uh, the prayer of the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all we're saying. And to call it supernatural on one hand is to say, well, it's beyond something I can completely explain. But it also puts it in, in um, a penalty box if we're not careful. Rather than saying, I don't completely understand it all, but it's, it's consistent and continuous with the world that I know. It doesn't upset anything. Some of you heard um, a woman um, tell the story a few years ago, right up here. Uh, she's a surgeon. She teaches surgery and cosmetic surgery at UCSD Medical School. She's one of the top people in her field. And a woman came to her whose, whose dog bit a big chunk out of her face. And is a younger woman, and oh my gosh, and she and her husband were distraught, and um, our friend looked at her and said, there's no normative way to fix this that doesn't look really bad. Yes, we can do skin grafts, but it's going to look like a skin graft. And they were just you know, heartbroken. And she said, I will do the best I can. I mean, she was the best, so there wasn't any other place they could go. But as she always does, at the beginning of every surgery, she paused and prayed in the operating room. Said, Lord, help me find a way to help this woman have the best outcome possible. And as she's praying this, she's looking at the woman's face, and she sees uh, uh, dotted lines on the woman's face. She's like, oh my gosh, as if this is where you need to make your incision. And she has this resident, a cosmetic you know, plastic surgeon, standing next to her. And she says, hey, take a look at this woman's face. What do you see? A horrible wound that I hope we can fix. Do you see anything else? No. She's like, okay. She does the surgery. The outcome is as close to perfection as you can imagine. The woman is beside herself. The husband is beside herself that this is the outcome. I'm like, she said it was going to be really, this is, I look perfect. And she said, well, you, you know, um, I did the best I could. I did all the best modern to the, no pun intended, the best cutting edge stuff in this field. But I, you got to know, I prayed over you before I did the surgery. Now, this woman, if you see her in lawyer or see her at UCSD Medical School, you say, hey, I heard this story about you. Can you tell me? She'll say, sure, and she'll start to tell you, and the tears will flow. 
She can't tell the story without the tears flowing. Why? Because she, is she has experienced a wonder that is a sign to the kingdom of God. She takes no credit for it. She says, I did the surgery. I take full credit for that. I had no idea. This is not a procedure. This was simply a one-off for this woman's case, and it worked. And you're not going to find it in the journal of you know, cosmetic surgery. First of all, pray, then watch the dotted lines. This is the power of it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Jesus' wonderful, mighty works personify God's creativity, God's empathy, God's compassion. Never discounting human agency, ever. In fact, enhancing human agency. These signs and wonders aren't a cue for us to kick back and go, oh, awesome, what else you got? It's a call to lean in and say, what, what does this mean for me? What am I supposed to do with this? Where do I go with this? Is everything supposed to be unconventional from here on out? No. Except that it is unconventional to follow me and to listen to me and to trust me. It's what you were made for, but in the world you live and in, in your, your fallen nature, it's very unconventional. And you'll tell that story to some people, perhaps, and they will mock you. You should not be practicing medicine if you're doing that. We're saying, that was awesome. I want Sign me up to have surgery with this person. So empathy, we know, is identifying and understanding feelings and needs. Empathy isn't sympathy that says, oh, poor baby. Empathy is like, you might say poor baby, but what you're doing is you're identifying. And you're not getting so caught up in it that now you're the person. Uh, I, I have a friend, dear friend, who uh, at, at every wedding, he is the bride. At, at every funeral, he is the corpse. Every baptism, he is the baby. And he knows it. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. I just, you know. He just inserts himself in it. You go, come on, let it be about the baby, the bride, and the body, okay? So empathy is, is being able to be present and to care in a way that you don't <laughs> take over the situation and so personalize it becomes your experience. Empathy, powerful. Then compassion, of course, is actually doing something in response to the empathy. Wow, man, my, you moved my heart. You tell me that story. Go, hope, hope you figure it out. See ya. Compassion says, well, okay, I, I can't solve this for you, but there's some things you could do, some people I could introduce you to, some resources maybe you don't know about, right? So empathy and compassion always go together. And together, they end up being these creative acts. They become wonders that lead to signs that say, I care, and I'm motivated to care because of the kingdom of God is real to me. Now, because we're all made in God's image, we all have this, even if you are a professed atheist or agnostic. You say, well, I feel that way. Of course you do, because that's how God wired you. But it doesn't become a normative, probably a normative way for you to live life and not get buried by it unless you have the kingdom of God giving you what you need inside and not to become just crushed down by the weight of people's needs. This is why compassion fatigue is so popular, so not popular, but common is that we so care and we don't have any boundaries to know how not to insinuate ourselves in a situation. But greater is he in us than all the pressures that come on us. That's the, that's the takeaway for a Christ-centered empathy and compassion. It allows us to be creative in a way that also uh, allows us to be humble and self-effacing 
in the process. So it's certainly one of the most powerful, wonderful, amazing gifts we can receive or give. It's what moms and dads do. Mom and, moms and dads do this. And, and, and most moms and dads, no matter how awesome they are, are still surprised by how much they have to give that they didn't think they could. How resilient they become, how resourceful they become. How they keep coming back and caring and loving. And kids might do things as they get older that break their hearts and they still say, I love you. I will always love you. You'll always be welcome here. This is the power of what love does to us. This is what empathy and compassion looks like in, the, in a normal everyday life. And, and it draws on, at the best version of it, it draws on the knowledge of God and an experience of Him in our lives so that our creative efforts, these creative um, you know, things that we come up with, we, we would say that is, is miraculous or supernatural as what somebody might say is a, a bona fide miracle. But all of this, all of it is natural to who God is and what he does in the world. And we dare not sequester by saying, well, that's supernatural and this is normal. That's a miracle and this is how the world really works. So we do this when we pray, when we comfort people, when we listen, when we care, when we support, when we teach, when we overcome barriers to health. This is happening when people are doing research and coming up with new drugs and new therapies. That becomes a wonder and a sign. You might say, oh, no, now you're getting, you know, you're just calling secular things wonders and signs. No, I'm not. I'm calling things that are wonders and signs wonders and signs. And if you want to put a secular label on it, you're missing the point that this is all from God. It's how God created the world, how he created us, how God operates, and it's normative. So if we always think that everything that's spiritual has to be completely abnormal and counterintuitive, we're going to miss most of what God is doing in the world. Because we don't see these outrageous dotted lines, and I'll just do that. You know, you wouldn't need a surgeon. You can hire me. Just follow the dotted lines. All right, sure. You know. But instead, you're saying, "This is the world we live in," and that way, we start to see life as a gift. And if if we need to use a term, it's a miracle. That's why every human being is an unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork. Well, no, a zygote. And I understand the process. But God is behind the process. God is underneath it. God is over above it. God is involved in it. And he's repairing it and rescuing it because it's a fallen world because of our disobedience. Our unwillingness to believe in him and trust him. And to always think we can do better. We might have a better alternative. I'll get back to you. And so there are ex- these, all these things that we can do are expressions of the salvation we receive. Having been rescued, being restored, being renewed, being re- relieved of the burden of sin, being remade into the likeness of Christ. This frees us up to become a better version of who we are. You might be a phenomenal person, and I guarantee you, as soon as you get to know Christ, you go, I thought I was pretty phenomenal. And now I realize I was just, a, I was barely started in becoming who I could really be. And again, it's why people who aren't Christ followers are moved by this God-given desire to heal the world. And so when I see anybody doing anything that's laudable, I, I cheer them on. Well, you know, Steve, I, I know you, you're, you believe in Jesus. I don't. I'm still doing these great things. I'd say, God bless you for doing these great things. I'm, I'm thanking you and giving God all credit. Well, you're fine. Do whatever you want. Well, I, the reason I'm doing that is because it's amazing what you're doing, and I love it. But I, ha- I cannot help but say it's because God made you with the capacity to do that, and you're choosing to do what you were made to do. It's all natural. It's only natural that you'd want to do this. 
And so creativity and empathy and compassion is core to understanding Jesus' healing mission. It's core to understanding your healing mission, because you have one. Most of it will look pretty mundane and everyday. I'm not really into the healing thing. I've never had any miraculous things happen to me. Well, when you smile at people, that's a gesture of healing. When you listen to people, uh, you've honored them with a therapeutic encounter. When you've given people wise counsel, you've offered a diagnosis that is instructive, and we would say salvific. You're saving them from doing something that otherwise would have been disastrous for them. This this does not replace the blood of Jesus or or confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's just all part of that continuum. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, what's he doing? He's saying, come do the works that I do. He died on the cross. We're not picking up our cross so we have a little death on the cross so we could somehow be a Savior. But what we're doing is we're identifying with Jesus' death on the cross, bringing the sins of the world upon himself, breaking the power of sin and death. And so us picking up our cross isn't being little faux martyrs. It's saying, I identify with the Savior. And so for me to pick up my cross is my awareness that I too, in love, want to sacrifice. And I'm even willing to suffer to be part of God's healing work in the world. And so when you give money that you could otherwise spend on something else, that's a small sacrifice, small act of suffering. But really, it's a gesture of love is what it is. And it has a healing impact. Never, ever discount small things, small gestures. Do you know what love is made of? Small gestures. Small gestures. You stop doing the small gestures, you make love hollow. That's why if you are not practicing the small gestures and you give somebody a big gift as an expression of love, it rings hollow. They go, yeah, nice, thanks, yeah. The ring can't give me love. The big gift can't give me love. The new car can't give me love. The better home, the big meal, the whatever it is we do. All wonderful gestures, but they don't replace the thousands of small gestures of practical love. This is the power of healing. That the God of the universe who comes into the world would stop and say, you're a leper. Wow, sure. Let me touch you. Who touched me? Oh, a woman. You, oh, if you had this bleeding issue. I'm glad you touched me. Oh, you brought all these people. I'm glad. I'll stay here as long as we need to stay here. You see the power of this? I didn't deserve that. Why did I? Do you know who that was? No. Wow. So he came to rescue and restore all creation, reconciling us to God so we could do likewise. Reconciliation is an expression of wholeness and a core skill in fulfilling our mission in life. To be reconciled and to be part of God's reconciling uh, uh, mission in the world is what we get to be part of. We're not spectators or bystanders. We're full participants. And even the smallest things we do count and matter to us because they're part of how God shapes us and helps us grow up. Every time you confess a sin or make an apology, ask for forgiveness, repair a relationship That's an act of grace that is transformational in you and then transformational through you. And so, you know, John, uh, the apostle of Jesus, uh, records these words of Jesus in John 14, 12. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. 
Now, my first response to this, I have to tell you, is this is patently untrue. I can't really think of one human being on the planet who has done more than Jesus. Can you? But if we look at this in context, what do we see? Let me flip the the order of the sentence here and start with the last part of it. Because I'm going to the Father, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. In fact, they'll do even greater things than these. Why? Because Jesus is risen and his mighty works are multiplied by zillions of reconciled people. So think of all the gestures of love and creativity and empathy and compassion that produce healing in the world. You multiply that by all the people who are doing it in the name of Jesus. In a sense, we're doing more than Jesus ever did. Jesus could have stayed his whole natural lifespan and healed people, and it would have been a finite number. At this point, it's a number that it's hard to even begin getting your head around how many people have been touched and moved by this movement of God's Spirit through ordinary people who don't feel adequate or qualified. So you are the natural means in God in bringing God's signs, wonders, and mighty works for the healing of others. Let me wrap it up by saying this. In Christ, we get to demonstrate signs and wonders, mighty acts, and healing. And this power to heal is a natural byproduct of using the gifts God has entrusted to us. Natural gifts, spiritual gifts that are unique to the Spirit working in you, skills that you've developed, connections that you have. So who do you know that needs empathy and compassion and a healing touch? Offer it. Do you need empathy, compassion, and a healing touch right now? Ask for it. Jesus is still healing people. We're blessed to receive it. We're blessed to give it. This is the power of Jesus' healing ministry. This is the power of your healing ministry being you in Christ. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here, uniquely created, saved by your grace, equipped by your Holy Spirit, with skills, insights, strengths, capacities, qualifications to bless other people. Lord, we thank you that this is a tsunami of healing that we get to be a part of. This is a banquet, a feast of healing and restoration that we get to participate in. We thank you, Lord, uh, that everybody in your kingdom counts. Everybody in your kingdom has a purpose. Every kingdom uh, person uh, is filled with the potential of your Holy Spirit working in them and through them to bless others in your name. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to see our true birthright, our true identity. And we thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Let's let's wrap up our worship time by offering ourselves to the Lord. Uh, If you want to make an offering offering, a financial offering, you can do that. There's an offering box there. You can mail it in, whatever. Uh, that's, that's absolutely an aspect of, of who we are as God's people. But right now, this is about you offering you to the Lord. Where do you need his healing touch? And, and ask him, where, Lord, can I bring your healing touch as we worship him together?
God is doing great things, and you get to be part of that. You're one of the great things that God is doing. Uh, you might not see yourself that way. Um, and I, I, I pray that you will, because the world needs you to see you as God sees you.
The world needs to be loved like God loves you. And so we, in our own humility, have to come to that point of saying, Lord, all right, I get it. You love me. And you give me the capacity to love me in you and to love others in you. This sets you free. This is a radical revolution of love with massive social impact that we each get to be a part of. None of us is left out. None of us is discounted. All of us are essential to God's purposes. This is not happy talk. This is kingdom talk. It's a wonder and a sign that only God can promise and only God can fulfill. You you are the one through whom he's making this promise and making this fulfilled in the world. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you, that you might reflect his love, his glory, his grace wherever you go, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If we can pray for you, go out into the prayer garden. We'd love to have a prayer with you. We won't put you on the spot. Uh, Get something to eat. Take some time to get to know some folks. Have a great rest of the day, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms.